0: You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And have a seat, everybody. Good morning, church. Resurrection. And as far as I could see back there, there's folks. Welcome, everybody, to Resurrection. What a... What a good day we've got today. I mean, I say that every time. and I know you guys complain that I make every Sunday super special or something, but it is. Um, and especially today. So, uh, but today is special for a few reasons. Most importantly, because we're baptizing six of our own. And that's always a really big day for us. Yep, that's a big deal. Um, but we're also beginning this new series in the letters of Paul to Timothy. Um, this, this is one of the first letters that we have that, uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy, and Timothy is this protege of Paul, this ministry kind of ministry intern who's overseeing this first-century church. And guess what? This church has problems and people involved. Sounds like a church, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, but what, what Paul issues to Timothy is this idea of, of peace and quiet. And not the way that maybe the world understands peace and quiet, uh, maybe in the shadow of the Roman Empire, but the peace and quiet of Jesus and then of the kingdom of God. And so Paul urges Timothy, I want you to live in this way. And it looks like leading others in a different way than maybe the world tends to lead others. It looks like bearing a a witness in your life that is truthful in a way that maybe the world doesn't recognize, suffering and serving other people. And even how we deal with Holy Scriptures, how we relate to the Scriptures. Paul has a lot to say in Timothy, and that's what we're going to jump in in this coming series called Peace and Quiet. So when we moved to uh, Austin, when Michelle and I moved to Austin, uh, we noticed a few things. One, one thing was that, uh, Michelle, would, we were always complaining about the heat and the bugs, right? Um, but we, I know, no big deal, right, Mr. Rightliff? I get it. Uh, get over it. We are over it. We're getting over it. We're still working on it. It's been a few years, but uh, we're getting there. But we, we, were, we were kind of baptized into the way Texans do things, you know? Y'all know what I'm talking about. For instance, can I just call this out? The uh, intentional mispronunciation of Spanish street names in our town. No, no, no. Right? It's not Manchaca. It's not Guadalupe. It's Guadalupe and Manchac and all this that's all right. We, I resisted for a while. We got on board. We got on board. Um, breakfast tacos. Didn't know that was a thing. That's a thing. Praise the Lord for that. Preach. I don't even get that much response when I like, actually preach the gospel to you guys. See what I'm saying? Whatever. Um, backyard parties. Even though it's hot and everybody's sweating. Cold beer at backyard. That's just the way you guys do things. That's fine. We do it. We're down with it now. The difference between grilling and barbecue, I didn't know that that was a, di- that was a thing. That's a, that's a thing. If you didn't know that, there is a difference. It's a huge difference. It's like talking about somebody's mother if you confuse them. Uh, it's really offensive. Um, not, not, not propane grills either, but like charcoal and smoking and all that kind of stuff. James, you know what I'm talking about. Um, my friends I embarrass, who so I don't know the difference. The Longhorns, football, tailgating, there's all this culture in Austin that Michelle and I, my family's from Texas, so I recognize a lot of it, Uh, but Austin has its own kind of thing, right, that we had to get, come around to. ACL, South by Southwest, Southern hospitality, the list goes on and on in our Austin neighborhood. And in many ways, we had to be initiated into this really beautiful culture that we've come to love and take on as our own, for sure. We love it. But do you ever wonder, wonder this? This is what I was thinking about as I was reading Paul's letters to Timothy. How does that status quo culture that we that we inhabit as Austinites, as Texans, how is that confronted by the culture of the gospel? Is it? Or is like being an Austinite mean you're just like a gospel believing Christian? That's just hand in hand, that's the way it goes. Is there confrontation there? I think there is. Is does the gospel subvert the Austin dream in certain ways? Now I know I'm messing. I know. I'm meddling with the, the status quo. I get it. Um, but I think it may. Does it? Does the gospel subvert the American dream? Yikes. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that today. So buckle up. Here we go. And Paul's caught this vision. And we know this when he begins to write to Timothy. He speaks from a totally different place than maybe the American or Texan or Austin dream. He has a totally different kind of a sense of what's real and what's true, the possibilities in life. And it's the kingdom of God. Paul has caught a glimpse of the way God does things, his culture. In our readings today, you heard God some stuff about God's economy, how he takes care of the poor. That's not the way we do things, necessarily, is it? This is what Paul has in view as he writes to Timothy. And in this first, uh, this first section in chapter 2 where we're beginning, Paul wants to talk really specifically to Timothy about leadership. How do you lead as a gospel-bearing, witnessing Christian in a world that tends to view leadership in totally different ways? It's this kind of top-heavy, oppressive, overpowering, manipulative kind of thing. In that status quo, and we can relate. In the shadow of the Roman Empire, the way that they did leadership, you can see why Paul writing to Timothy about leadership is, is so subversive, so different in the kingdom of God. When we look at Jesus, we don't see Caesar, do we? Like qualitatively different kinds of leadership in the kingdom of God. In the weeks to come, we're going we're gonna to hear more about this call from Paul to live as kingdom people. Even though we're residents in Austin, Texas, USA, we're going to deal with the differences and the way that they confront each other. Well, we're going to begin in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. Um, there's also a, a verse reference up on the screen here too, but I'm going to read chunks of it for us, so if you don't, that's okay. The first chapter of Timothy gives us some context of what's happening in this, this drama church, uh, so it, and it's not going to be really hard for us to imagine. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've been in a church... Somehow imagining drama in the church just is like pretty easy to do, right? So um, Paul is helping Timothy with church drama and particularly he's dealing with false teachers, teachers who are teaching different doctrines than what Paul has given to them as the planting pastor of this church. And he's also dealing with people in the church who have been preoccupied with myths. Uh, he says, uh, what does he say? Deviating from, uh, or their, their expectations of, of how things should be run in the church. I could do better. You know what we should do in this church? You know, that kind of thing. Expectations, gossip, deviating from faith and love as motivations, and, and arriving at places like uh, bitterness and desire that just kind of overcomes us. To, uh, no matter what, we need to see this end happen in our church. We need to see this thing happen. Give have all of these issues that poor Timothy's having to deal with. And so Paul speaks, he writes to him. He gives him some mentoring on how to lead as a Christian through a challenge like this. Can I read to us what he says? And, and notice where he begins. This is interesting. First of all then, you can see Paul. First of all then, Timothy. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. For kings and all who are in high positions. So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. First of all, pray for your leaders. Already, this is this is not the way we do things, right? No, we troll Facebook. First of all, get on Facebook and criticize your leaders. Because you can do better. You know better, right? You see what I'm saying? Paul says, first of all, pray for your leaders. Give thanks to God for them, for all of your leaders, even the kings, all the people in high places. Paul's paradigm for leadership in the kingdom of God begins with prayer. Appealing to God for his mercy, for his help. What a different way of approaching this. And doing so with urgency, not passively, but God, please help the leaders in your church. Help them. Pray for them. Why? So that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Go into your closet, get on your knees and pray for mercy for your leaders, that they would lead godly lives, not in the peace of quiet, not in the, the white picket fence, American dream style where there's no confrontation, but that your leaders would participate and bear witness to the way God does things in the world. Pray for them. They're human beings like us, like me. We're broken folks. And somehow we have been given this responsibility to steward God's bride the bride of Jesus. To bear witness to the gospel in our neighborhood. Pray for them. Cry out to God on their behalf. Can you imagine crying out to God on behalf of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? Some of us, that's like really hard to imagine. But Christians do that. That's what Christians do. We pray for our senators and our leaders, our town leaders. Even the people in other high places that we may not like, we cry out to God for mercy. Lord, help them. Coming from a place of faith and of love and out of expectation of what God does when he gets a hold of people with power that's what Christians do that's what Paul urges Timothy to do all leaders need prayer Um, but we do things different right in America we don't begin with prayer Um, we can look after all where they came from there's like 10 more we can find a replacement overnight for our leaders we don't need to pray for them we just need to replace them vote somebody else in We need to find people who, who will finally do it right for us. Right? They're out there. The people that don't make mistakes, folks who just don't need as much prayer and mercy from God. They get a, you know, they're just born with it. Or if you're a leader on the way to the top, this is the way we kind of do things. Whoever it takes, whatever it takes for me to, to rise up to get more influence over other people, if I that means I have to step on other people's reputations, so be it. Get to the top. But do it without being detected. That's, that's a really good leader, according to the world. Step on other people, but don't get caught. Show how much better you are in this kind of passive way, this false humility kind of way. That's the way our world does leadership, is that right? Sounds familiar to me. But to what end, what, and we do this, right? This is the rat race of leadership in the world. We do this, to what end? What happens? This view, it treats people like commodities, like assets, as pawns to get us what we want. There couldn't be a more dehumanizing way of treating leaders than stepping on them. But this isn't God's desire, is it? That those who have been called into leadership, and parents, I'm talking to you too, if you have any influence over anybody else in your life, you're in a position of leadership. Should we wait for you to, to fail and celebrate it and then step into your place and look good? No. Is this God's desire? Not at all. What is God's desire? What's the end game in the kingdom of God is another way of asking this. Paul says it in verse 4, God desires this, that everyone everyone be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, for there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus. Mm. Himself human who gave himself a ransom for all. This good news, this this news, this bit that I've just read to you, there's one God and there's one mediator between man and God and it's Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. That good news, that's what's happening, that's reality. This gives us a totally different context to imagine leading, influencing, bearing witness in the world, right? Actually, it's great news for leaders because you don't have to be God and you don't have to be the mediator between God and man. We have a Jesus, We have a Christ, we have a Messiah who has come, who has ransomed us all. Now now lead in that world. That is the world we live in. Praise the Lord. The gospel has implications for the way we lead others and steward them and care for them. Leaders don't need to be God. Leaders don't need to fix us or solve our problems. We have someone who is doing that for us. Actively, right? Right? We have Christ Jesus who suffered and died, paid the ultimate price that we may be made right with God. That our future would be sealed in his care. That we would become children of God, inheritors of all of the wealth of heaven. That we would truly find peace and quiet in our lives. We have that one leader, and it's Jesus. So in that light, in that context, then... You see this? Listen, pray for those in leadership that they would participate in that end, in that desire of God, right? To steward others to God's perfect end for them, His will in their life. That they might lead in such a way that bears witness to reality, to the gospel of Jesus. Amen? You see that? That's, that's different. Church, we can have like kind of a side family chat. If you're not part of this church and you're visiting, welcome. You're now going to be part of a family chat. Hope that's okay with you. I am—I'm like so humbled and honored to lead this church. There's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. This is like, this is the greatest job ever. Wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, guys, I think you got to be called to it. But, but I'm so grateful. I really am. Um, but think about this: Who is fit? Who in the world is fit to lead Christ's one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church here in Austin? Sean? Are you kidding? Who is fit to do that other than Christ himself? Nobody. Not one. Not me. Not anybody with a collar. Nobody is fit to do that. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I like to play soccer. I like to brew beer. I've got a life. But I'm also like really uh, broken. I've got problems. Believe it or not. I'm a human being. I've got a pulse. You all know me. You know Sean, right? And yet Sean has been called and set aside into this daunting task of somehow stewarding God's Jesus's bride well and not mishandling his word not mishandling his children what a crazy call I think this all the time when I put on the stole we kiss the back of the neck of the stole when we put it on because we're we're taking on that life of stewardship this is the yoke of Christ kind of like a yoke around an oxen that God steers and we pray I know all of our priests when we put this soul on, we pray God have mercy on me I'm just a human being. I'm just your child. And yet I've been called into this role. So what Paul is saying here is, I want to echo to you, pray for me. Pray that somehow God would have mercy on me and lead our church into all goodness, all righteousness, all beauty, all truth. That God's will would be fulfilled in our church's life, even under my leadership, despite despite me, oftentimes. Not only that, pray for our leaders. We have so many leaders here at this church who... You guys don't see how hard they work and they bust it. They work so hard. And why do they work? Out of guilt? Because they need a job? No. They work because they love this church. They work because they love you. Most importantly, they work because they love Jesus. They work so hard. Pray for them. Pray that they could serve, not in a place that's drained out and totally burnt out and flattened, but in a place that's filled up. A place full of rest. Margin. If you find large leaders, go and encourage them. Thank them for the ways that they're serving the church and you. Pray for parents. Parents, if you're here, spiritual parents, if you're godfather or godmother of a child who's been baptized, folks, pray for them. Pray for each other. Single parents, widows, orphans, pray for them. We need the help of God, don't we? Oh, man, we need the help of God. Instead of hoping for other people's failure or saying, you know, I wouldn't do that if I was a parent. You know? Well, I, they don't know. I should teach them. You should probably pray for them first. Thank God for them that this child has a parent, first of all. If you have influence in any other person's life, if you, if, by the way, if you're not discipling somebody or being discipled by someone, make that change. Do it. <laughs> you can't be a, There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We do it with others. We're led by others and we lead others. So we've got to pray for each other that God would bring us to that place of peace and quiet, that easy yoke with Jesus. That the world would know what God is up to in the world when they look at us and they see the way we do leadership, the way we do power, the way we serve others as servant leaders, the way that Jesus serves us, right? That's what we want folks to see. Um, one way to make this real practical, I love attaching... Um, these biblical truths of being a Christian in the world to moments in the liturgy. One of my favorite moments in our liturgy is when we process in and when we process out. I like it more when I'm actually not a part of it. Um, And the reason being, that's why it's my my favorite when I'm not actually doing something. It's because I get to thank God for our leaders when they walk by. Those servant leaders who are behind the cross, serving Jesus and his kingdom behind his cross. And you'll notice that people bow when the cross comes by. You'll notice that people stay bowing even for the acolytes and the celebrants and all the clergy as a way of saying, and I find myself praying, God, thank you that you have called these people to serve your church in this way. Have mercy on them. Dear God, when when our bishop is here, oh, I'm so grateful to have a bishop a, man, a godly man who has oversight over our church find myself when I bow at the bishop when I call him your grace when I give them these, these words of reverence it's a way of prayerfully saying God thank you for this spiritual oversight in my life this Paul in my Timothy life that others can lead us God have mercy on them so I invite you if you find yourself saying man, I would love to figure out a way with my body to pray just to come underneath the care of the leaders that God has placed in my life the procession and recessional well, it's a great time to do it What a good uh, word for us to hear as we celebrate baptism this morning. What we're going to do in just a second here. As spiritual mothers and fathers, this is where family is made. Where children come under our care as those who are leading others in the faith. Baptized in this church. For each of us who take uh, vows as a community, raise our kids in the way of the Lord. We take that really seriously, don't we? If you've ever been here before, we we pause and think about this before we get into it. We take this really seriously. Because in baptism, we get to see the reality of the gospel unfold right before us in the lives of our children and in our family. We are being joined with Christ's death in the watery grave. You'll see me plunge or throw babies in here. They're being unified with Christ's death in the grave and brought to new life in his resurrection. We don't get to just love Jesus and think about him. We actually get to enter into his life, into his body. So that means we get to do things the way he does things. And that means parenting as well. Not parenting in ways that are fearful and unkind, but in ways that are filled with faith and hope and love. That's why, uh, that's that's the place that we parent in the kingdom. So as we celebrate today, let's remember our identity as adopted children into Christ's family. Into the family of God. And that he has a totally different way of doing things than sometimes maybe in Austin we're accustomed to doing. Even in the family, maybe things will change today at the baptismal font. I pray that all of us would faithfully live out the truth of the peace and quiet that we know in Jesus. First by his kingdom before Twitter, or before Facebook, before the the status quo and culture outside our doors here, that we would first know the peace and quiet that we know in God's kingdom. As we lead, as we parent, as we love on each other. So I'm going to leave us with that. Let's let's pray for each other as we continue as God's faithful people and come to the waters this morning. Baptism. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at Rezaustin.com.